Hello and welcome to the Global Trading Podcast. This is episode nine. I'm Terry Flanagan, editor of Global Trading. Our topic today is data and quantitative models in emerging markets equity trading. Pleased to be joined by two very distinguished guests. We have Ed Duggan, who's Global Head of Electronic Trading and Head of Execution Services, APAC for HSBC, and George Molina, Head of Global Emerging Markets Equity Trading at Franklin Templeton. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Hi, Terry. Thanks for having us on. Great. And now, now allow me to set the stage with just a very brief layman's introduction to this topic. Trading in emerging markets has historically been higher touch, more manual, less electronic, and less automated compared with developed markets. But as electronic trading has increased access to both data and markets in the developed world, the same is happening in emerging markets, albeit slowly. It's a gradual process, but technology, algorithms, and other advancements on the trading desk are making emerging markets trading more efficient. Now, let's hear about this from the experts. Ed, if I can ask you, how are data and quantitative models being used in emerging markets equity trading? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, thanks, thanks, Terry. And that's a really interesting question to get us started. And I'm sure... Uh, George is going to have some some views on this as well. I mean, what we've seen is, you know, algorithms and 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 modeling based trading strategies. You know, they have performed traditionally very well in data rich environments, which which tend to be developed market environments where you have deep order book, multiple venues, and very transparent data. Although some people might contest how transparent exactly the data is in in some of the developed markets. And one of the issues around emerging markets has been sometimes it's just been hard to get a consistent stream of data. You know, 20 years ago, that data was challenge was around news flow in those markets. So what was happening that was newsworthy in those markets? So that was a challenge. And then when we move all the way across into the kind of data that we require to, to feed our models for trading in emerging markets, we're really looking at market data. Uh, we're looking at, um, you know, information around market structure, rules and regulations, which tend to be you know, uh, a little bit quirky sometimes in emerging markets. And we have to bring all of that together and, and put it into a model-based framework. So what we've really seen, though, is an ongoing desire, and I'm sure George will touch on this, uh, from our clients to want to be able to access as many markets as possible electronically and move away a little bit, although not entirely, from having to trade those markets manually. So our job is to, is to provide those algorithms for use by our clients. One of our issues at HSBC has been that we've always been known as a provider who can go into difficult to trade markets and, and try and make them accessible electronically. But one of our issues is how do we collect that data? How do we make sure that we're bringing in enough data from, from some of those emerging market capital markets where, as I say, the market data uh, flow is not quite as uh, deep and as rich as you'd see in a developed market. And really, it's about uh, adapting the models themselves to, to address some of those challenges, right? So we use, we use the same model framework, whether we're trading developed or emerging, but we go into those models based on a market-by-market -market approach, and we make the appropriate changes which are required to, to get us past some of those issues that we have harvesting the data in those markets. George, George you and a colleague, Franklin Templeton, co-wrote a piece on this topic that we're talking about today, uh, data and quantitative models in emerging markets equity trading, ran in 
the third quarter issue of Global Trading can be found at fixglobal.com. We'd like to hear your perspective on how our data and quantitative models being used in emerging markets equity trading. Sure. And and thanks, Ed. I think that was a great introduction to what we're doing out here in the emerging market side of equity trading. Um, there's a few data points which we are currently using to better scrub data for improved performance on the Franklin Templeton side. One of the big things which we mentioned on the article was stock clustering, which is basically a machine learning method to classify stocks into several categories based on market microstructural information, trading strategy. And then we further tailor it for each cluster within each country. We do that in order to improve the algo wheel performance or construction, which primarily been outsourced to the brokers. But what we're finding from a buy side perspective is that we're bringing in more qualified math engineers, quantitative traders into the buy side desks in order to be able to build these algos in-house with the assistance of, of the brokers. So we're no longer outsourcing this, but building them internally. IOI data is a new big one. Uh, This is indications of interest data, high-touch recommendations. So our traders on the buy side know where to go based on the liquidity, the flow, and understand better the broker's market share on IOI. Um, There's a lot of advertisements of flow, but how is that actual flow impacting your trade um, execution is very important for us when choosing a broker. And then venue analysis, uh, understanding price impact in each dark pool, in each ATS, in order to minimize the footprint and the signaling in other market participants is key. George, if I if I can stick with you, I, I think we've covered a part of this next question and what we've already talked about, but what would you highlight as some of the challenges in deploying data and quantitative models in emerging markets equity trading? So that's a good question. I would say the biggest challenge that we've had over the last 18 to 24 months has been the data sample. You know, it's one of the major challenges we have. There's about half a dozen brokers who provide execution services data, and we require a very large sample size to properly evaluate. So making sure that we team up with the right data providers and the right brokers has been key for us to be able to build these algos. Workflow is also not standardized you know, as we want better data from the sell side and IOI data as well, uh, having everybody standardize that has been a challenge. We're even working with Bloomberg these days in order to make sure that uh, messaging has IOI data in it that we can scrub and bring into our analysis. And then tick data. Tick data is rather limited, large and expensive. We've been working once again with several vendors to find the right match. But that's also been a challenge for us on the buy side. Ed, uh, your perspective on the challenges and how is HSBC addressing these challenges? Yeah, so 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 there's there's definitely some distinct challenges, and I think George's George has covered most of them. And it's really about the availability of data and and how deep your data set is, right? Because because for any kind of electronification of trading, even if it's going from the sort of mechanization of the IOI process all the way down to how you use tick data to to drive uh, your models and more importantly test your models one of the problems as you get into the emerging market universe is just there is not as much trading that takes place and therefore your data or your response to data needs to be somewhat desensitized depending on the market you're trading right how do you appropriately weight the signals that drive drive your models understanding of what's happening in those markets however you can kind of get around that by using a technique that george touched on which is the clustering approach right so you can look at across the, the trading world and actually you can start to draw comparison between certain markets particularly if you look internationally. So you will find that actually there are some markets which are classified as developed markets, which actually in reality trade a little bit more like an emerging market. 
And you'll find the occasional market that's been classified as emerging that actually in reality will trade a little bit more like a developed market. And that means that you can take some of the lessons that you can learn in a more data-rich market and you can apply them from time to time in a market where you're not getting much of that natural data coming through on the ground. And we do that quite a lot at HSBC. So the scenarios that we run uh, using cloud-based computing are there to try and draw comparisons between markets where we have a lot of data and markets where we don't see as much data. So that's one of the techniques, and it's, and it's really great to hear that George and, and the guys at Templeton are using that kind of technique as well, because it, it's a very, very powerful technique. The other challenge or solution is that actually one of the benefits you get in emerging markets in terms of data is you, you're primarily dealing with one venue. So your data source and your management of your data source is a little bit you know, it's a little bit more approachable. It's more accessible. You don't have to worry as you do in the US, for example, where you have to read a whole ton of data across different venues, generally looking at on exchange traded business and therefore relatively visible data. So you're able to go back in time and without having to do a huge data crunching exercise, you can look a little bit at uh, your back testing is, is a little bit more simple than it is in other markets. But the primary challenge, is, as George said, is just the regularity and the depth of data uh, coming from emerging markets just isn't the same. So you have to rely on other techniques like clustering and like scenario planning to get you past those challenges. What are some of the unexpected data-driven findings from increased model usage in emerging markets trading strategy design? Ed? Well, I think that um, you know one, one of the one of the transitions that emerging markets is still is still going through is you know more adoption of automated trading strategies so we have a little bit more quant fund interest in emerging markets you know that's a client constituency which has generally restricted themselves to uh, developed markets uh, and now they're starting to look for new markets to trade in so we see you know, we see a little bit more quant activity in those markets. We also see, you know, as George has, has touched upon, a little bit of a transfer of business away from, you know, over the top business, uh, which is using a, a, a sales trader or an intermediary in those markets to look for liquidity towards a little bit more of a workflow friendly process of, of trading more electronically. So those markets are in transition and therefore you can get some real quirks in the data. So in emerging markets, occasionally you'll have volatility gaps during the trading day or volume gaps during the trading day, and you have a lot of retail participation in those markets. So you can get price dislocation of more frequency than you would expect to see uh, in markets which have deeper order books. So sometimes when you go and you look at the data, you'll see some real outliers in there. And I guess you know, one of the things that George and his quant team will be doing is how can you get to a data set which, which is still robust where you, where you can put the outliers to the side a little bit, but also program your trading strategies to make sure that you benefit from outlier trades when they occur in the marketplaces. That, that's something which is, which is quite a big feature of emerging markets, I think, George. That's right, Ed. And I think in sticking to some of the clustering that we mentioned earlier, you know, despite having similarity in stock characteristics, a quantitative signal can behave very different from country to country. So if you look at an S&P overnight return or an IUI, they have a different behavior between, say, a Hong Kong Japanese market. I think this is due specifically because of features like the stamp duty, the borrow the market opening times. You know, Japan opens earlier, you can see a bit of the Globex futures trading. And then the market participants, as you rightly mentioned, Ed, there's a very big retail participation in the emerging markets, specifically in Asia. Correlated indices also have a big impact. So yes, although you can cluster as much as possible in terms of the characters within the stock, then you have to look at the indices in themselves. George, if we were to look at the, at the, from the buy side perspective, what would you say are the main differences trading 
developed markets versus emerging markets? And what does the data drive in terms of decision making? Sure. I think the main difference that I see from looking at the developed markets and emerging markets specifically, and taking the US, for example, is that it's very fragmented. Hence, there are more emphasis in understanding the reversing signaling of each venue, as opposed to the emerging markets where it's still very high-touch trading intensive and seems to be the main driver of many trading desks. Uh, what we're finding is that there is now a hybrid model being used by the sell side where the high-touch traders and the low-touch traders, electronic traders, are becoming one and being able to quantify and apply some insights into the high-touch emerging market as a differentiator in the industry is, has been my view. Ed, anything, anything to add on that? No, I think George, George is... George is across a lot of that. The uh, you know there is there is going to be as these markets transition a little bit, there is going to be that requirement for a slightly different skill set uh, that, that you ask for amongst your intermediaries, and um, you want to try and leverage your electronic toolkit as much as you can because you, you don't want to be moving away from what the data is telling you. But at the same time, you need you need a touch in those markets. You need you need people who understand what yesterday's trading day looked like uh, in order to inform informed today. And, and algorithms, of course, they, they work on averages of data over time, whereas the way some of these emerging markets behave mean that having, a, having more oversight from an experienced professional is often, is often really the sweet spot. Uh, George, any, any perspective on that uh, sell side view? Yeah, you know, the sell side has been putting a lot of resources uh, in developing emerging market-specific algos, in particular with spread capture type of strategies. You know, spread in some of the ASEAN markets, for example, can be as wide as 50 beeps. So intelligently capturing near-touch fills has been a very crucial to execution performance. And that's something that we've seen the sell side developing as of late in some of their innovation uh, into their algos. And then the regulatory side, Ed touched on this a bit earlier, but the regulatory side is very, very different across the markets. And the rules, the type of clients, making sure all are treated equally in alternative volume sources. Is, is very important. Uh, I think from a regulatory side, one has to be very careful they don't apply or they apply in a Hong Kong market, a Japan market. It's, it's very different. Yeah, I'd like to pick up on that, actually, if I may, because I, sure. I think that's a really important point. So we think about, all right, how are we going to design our product differently according to the market we're trading in? And that, that regulatory aspect is a big driver for emerging market trading activity. So you know, one of the things that we've seen is obviously the growth of, of passive investing, you know, in developed markets first and foremost, but then much more so now into all world indices and emerging market indices. And passive trading is often benchmarked to the close. But as you move into the emerging market landscape, actually closing auction mechanisms are either not as robust uh, as we're used to in developed markets, or they're very, very heavily regulated. It's very, very hard to implement uh, closing benchmark strategies in markets like China, for example, where the, the regulatory framework about how much volume you can trade in the auction is very, very heavily constrained. So we have to have a different approach and we have to educate our clients around or some of our clients around a different approach for trading some of these emerging markets. So, you know, the, the anticipation that you'll see a lot of volume in the closing print of some of these markets just doesn't hold up actually in, in some of the emerging markets that passive investors are starting to travel in. For active investors, uh, I absolutely agree with George that you have to have a different view of your spread capture methodology. So in, in, in developed markets, quite often actually spread capture, although it's important, sometimes actually what you're solving for is being able to go in and grab liquidity before the rest of the market has a chance to react. In the emerging market space, 
particularly as George says, in the widespread markets, actually your passive placement strategy is much, much more important. So you do have to bring in that alternative product design, depending on which market you're trading in. And it really can often be driven by the regulatory environment in that market. Okay, I think I just have one more question. How do market dynamics affect the data set and influence trading decisions? George, you want to take a crack at that one? Sure. Um, You know, I was thinking about that. um, And the trading performance varies with different market conditions, uh, for example, volatility, spread, liquidity, and a few others. So it's important to consider the outlier filtering um, to make sure you take the noise out of the data and also how to standardize the data, which is very important. Um, during the market meltdown, for example, in March, expected execution cost increased due to liquidity drying up and the spreads widening. In this case, being able to negotiate a block was extremely valuable and bringing in some of that high-touch experience. Another thing that we've also been finding is that brokers are getting smarter about innovating their IOIs in the case of interest, putting some machine learning tools into them to be able to send the right IOI to a specific client, knowing what that client will do with that information. So that's really been you know the big influence trading decision calls that we've had or we've seen within the industry as of late. Ed, anything to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think one of the interesting things around trading emerging markets is, you know, particularly for Franklin Templeton, for example, is you, you're probably going to have larger liquidity demand uh, or liquidity requirements than than sometimes the market is able to, on a day-to-day basis, fulfil. Right. So that block, that ability to source block and understand what might drive liquidity to the market is really important, and, and therefore boots on the ground can be very, very helpful. If you want to kind of try and implement more of a sort of passive trading strategy, i.e. a wait and see approach and wait for the liquidity to arrive, then you've probably got to leverage some kind of model which uses some deep placing logic to take advantage of any price dislocation that might occur. You still get asymmetric information in those markets. So you don't get the same amount of news discovery that you get in, in, in developed markets. So you've always got to also be aware of the fact that there could be an event which comes out of nowhere, which has a big influence on the price that's, uh, that's available in the marketplace. So, you know, I think, I think it's tough for George sometimes because I'm sure the PMs say we, we want to go and invest a chunk of cash in, in one of these somewhat obscure markets. And that investment decision has to be implemented somehow. Uh, and you want to try and keep the cost to a minimum. But I think that most investors understand that actually, you know what, in some of these markets, you're better off to trade and travel and move on than to spend too long waiting for that liquidity to arrive because, because you can get really, really nasty and unexpected news events that can, that can influence the, the market price. Now, uh, just finally, gentlemen, I'd like to give you the opportunity to make closing remarks. Do you have any 30, 30 seconds to, to uh, mention key takeaways of this podcast? Just, just don't, in, don't, don't interrupt each other. I, I guess I'll, uh, I'll start off on my side. So um, very, very interesting topic uh, on how data and how buy side, sell side are now partnering up to continue to build the EM tools of the future. As I started off the call, I mentioned about the buy side taking some of that uh, responsibility in making sure that they had the experience. Um, and that's been very, very important for us at Frank and Templeton. And I know that many of my peers have also been doing the same. I think as we continue to build these data sets, it's going to be very, very important that we partner up with the right brokers in order to be able to to build these tools, which will ultimately help the industry and more important, the liquidity for our, for our client. So I think for me, you know, we're in the right path, uh, has taken a bit longer in emerging markets, but they are complicated. But we have full cooperation of our partners now 
now to continue on this path to building you know the next future innovative tools. Ed, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm very optimistic about emerging markets so over the medium to longer term. You know, we're in we're in a very low interest rate environment that's likely to persist for some time. Capital is looking for uh, good investment opportunities as long as the governance of companies are looking for capital in these markets continues to increase and is transparent, then, then they will continue to attract capital. George and I have got the job of trying to make sure that we can put that capital to work efficiently, but, but I find it very, it's very, very exciting uh, part of the world to be, to be trading in. And, and for us at HSBC, it's, it's right in our wheelhouse and DNA of the firm. So we're super motivated to build the kind of tools for George and other people in his peer group to enable them to be able to put that capital to work efficiently without without sort of feeding too many people on the way in and out of uh, investment decisions. Great. Ed and George, this has been a really excellent uh, conversation, very informative and insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Terry, for having us. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, George. I'm Terry Flanagan, editor of Global Trading. My guests today were Ed Duggan, Global Head of Electronic Trading and Head of Execution Services APEC for HSBC, and George Molina, Head of Global Emerging Markets Equity Trading at Franklin Templeton.